Well, well, welcome back from a week off. My name is Tyler and this is Between Sundays. We have all authority in heaven and earth to bring you today's sledgehammer of truth. We're talking about the Good Samaritan and spiritual jerks and eternal life. Dave is here to cut to the chase and give us the moral of one of the most famous stories ever told. So let's do this and live. Let's go now and do the same by welcoming in our favorite neighbors, Marin and Barry. Good day, guys. Good day. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while. Took a week off. Yeah, we were talking right before we started this that we were a little nervous that we wouldn't remember how to pod. Yeah, mm-hmm. potting, potting can uh, is not like riding a bike. It you got to practice. Yeah, work. I apologize in advance to our listeners if this one's a little awkward. No, it'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like it's I'm only off a, my game. You do? Yeah. Well, okay. So you've been gone for a week. Yeah. As have you? I was gone. Barry, were you gone? No, you I were was already here, gone. enduring the Arctic yeah. blast of April that we've been <laughs> having. And Dave, welcome. Thank you. And you were here. here. I was here. You were here. Bitter and here. So let's recap. So it's been two weeks. We went through Easter. Then it snowed a couple more times. (laughs) (laughs) And snowed today. And then snowed today. And here we are. We made it. Easter was great. Did you guys have a good Easter? Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great Easter. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So Marin, where did you go on vacation? You went to Tennessee. Yeah, so I did uh, Easter at our North Indy campus, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then since we don't really have family in the area, we got invited to Pastor Rob Yonan's house um, mm-hmm. for Easter lunch, which was amazing. Amazing. Of course. My yeah. kids have done lots of Easter egg hunts in their lifetime. Oh, the Easter egg hunt was great. There's more eggs in their front and backyard than any like city-sponsored really? Easter egg hunt that like the with, kids have with ever candy done. in them and everything? Oh, yeah. Goodness oh, gracious. Yeah, it was outrageous. Yeah, was so, so what, what all goes into the Easter egg at this at this hunt? Oh, they're empty. It's, uh, yeah. it's really disappointing. <laughs> I'm wondering because my mom still does Easter egg hunts for her grown children. Yes! <laughs> yes! But instead of candy, it's like tasks. It's like... What? Oh, no. Clean, yeah, the, it's like, clean the toilet? No, no, no not, <laughs> not chores, like chores, but like... Uh, Why would you want that? Do 50 jumping jacks while singing the ABCs backwards or something oh, wow. like weird stuff. And Mm-mm. and so I'm always like, I can't find any eggs. I don't know. I, <laughs> wow. I didn't I see know. any. She, until- what she needs to do is have one of them with a hundred dollar bill in it. Yeah. And all yeah. the rest of them have tasks. Yeah. That's she, it. she had one with $10 in it, but I, that still wasn't enough. Not for a me. motivation. No. My grandma did Easter egg hunts for her adult grandchildren, myself included mm-hmm. up until I think last year was the first year that yeah. she was unable to do that. But she always put money in her eggs. Yeah. yeah. That's key. You were guaranteed to come that home with at key. least 15 bucks each, nice. 25 bucks each. If you found the golden egg. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The one I went days. to. Mm-hmm. All the eggs were filled with confetti. <laughs> That's it? Yep. They were filled with confetti and they were actual real eggs. So they've been eating oh, eggs for months and months wow. and months and months and months, saving them. And then they fill them with confetti. Wait. That's and cool. they cover it. Oh, wait. <laughs> and they cover it with uh, tissue paper. And then the kids go and find them. And, and then whoever finds the most gets a $20 bill, which wow. is crazy. And then. They break the eggs over everyone's heads. Ooh, heads. How do you put confetti in the egg when it's not broken? Oh, it's broken. I oh. mean, they eat all, they eat the eggs, so they're empty uh, shells. Oh, uh, okay. But how, are the shells still like kind of whole? To, put yeah, back they're, together. they're kind of whole. They cut off the bottom of the egg. Gotcha. Mm. And then they fill it up and then they cover it with tissue paper. And it, it, it was- And then they break them over each other's heads? And on everything, every, the dogs. <laughs> That's <Aww>. awesome. <laughs> and they're, they're, Where were you? It was at friend's house. Okay. You know, our, <laughs> like, our man, second family. The Rodriguez, uh, the Easter's. We're, yeah. yeah. Wow. No, it wasn't. It was. I don't know this yeah, tradition. You weren't, Barry was not there. Yeah. I, okay. Was, um, your sister and, and Kevin were there. But yeah. You cool. And, but at any rate, yeah, there was, and so I went inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of this. I didn't, I didn't want that in my yeah, head. Yeah. That is, that is different for and sure. There was, and there was confetti everywhere. Outside though, right? Well. Inside. It started off outside, but then everyone comes in sure. and bring oh, it in, brings it in with them. Man. Yeah. So that, that was fun. All right. Sort of. Marin. Yes, sir. You went to Gatlinburg. Yes, I did. Tennessee with the family and you saw 
bears. I did. Can you tell us the bear story? The bear story. Okay, so we went with Jed's family to Gatlinburg. Um, this is the first time his entire family has been able to take any kind of vacation together. This was super cool. All brought on by Jed's mom. Hello, Barb. You're always listening. Ooh, Gotta say hello. Shout out. Um, so yeah, so she brought the whole family. This is 15 people to a cabin way up in the Smokies. Um Room for everybody, pool table, people playing billiards all week long. So sounds much awesome. Fun. Yeah, sounds fun. So much fun. It was fantastic. Really great. Everyone in the family can cook. Everyone can cook. So meals were amazing night after night. It was just awesome. Cool. Um, but I wanted the kids to see black bears. My husband and I had been to Gatlinburg before. And when we went, it was early October and you could just drive down the street. And I think we got caught in bear traffic maybe three times when my husband and I were there. That means cars that are slowing down. (laughs) Bears are driving the cars in Gatlinburg. They're terrible drivers. Or to take pictures or whatever. So in my mind from that one trip, it was just, there's bears everywhere. I can't wait for you guys to see bears. (laughs) And of course there's not. And I kind of knew like, well, maybe they're still hibernating, but kind of springs and maybe they're coming out and if they do come out, they're going to be super hungry. So you better be careful. So we Mm -hmm. reviewed some bear safety You know, just wave your arms in the air. Try to make yourself look real big. You know, I I don't know. Take selfies with them. Sounds sounds very American. Take a take their shirt off and run in a zigzag. But maybe that's maybe that's yeah. You got a serpentine, man. Yeah, I can't run a straight line. You're thinking of crocodiles. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) I don't think that's a deterrent to bears. (laughs) (laughs) So. I guess in a good way, we had a lot of problems with this cabin. The dishwasher didn't work and some plumbing issues. So we had some maintenance men coming out to the cabin. I think five out of the six or seven days we were there, a maintenance guy had to come out for one problem or another. But one particular maintenance guy had like a flatbed truck and he was offering to take everyone's garbage down the mountain and all that stuff. I think that's why the bears came. Garbage. I think garbage. They know this van and they oh, know this guy. There he is. So There's he's, Frank. Yeah. He's standing yeah. in the kitchen and he's like, Oh, you said you wanted to see bears. Well, he gets his phone out. He's like, Last time I was on this them? property. <laughs> Let me call some bears up. They'll Here's be here in a picture 10 minutes. Of a as long as they're not driving, they don't like to. <laughs> Yo, Bruno. He said the last time he was there, he got this shot of this bear. So he's showing us pictures on his phone. Oh, that's super cool. Then he goes to leave and he opens the front door to the cabin Mm-mm. and says, you guys said you wanted to see bears. Oh, no. like, and you're like, more photos. <laughs> oh my goodness. So of course we crowd around the door and there is a bear in between my minivan and my brother-in-law's no car. Way. Just awesome. Right there, like walking up to An the adult front bear. door as if to say hello. I, I yeah. I can't really tell the difference between an adult and a teenager, but it was not a cub. I'll say that it was a, it was a sizable creature. Hmm. So what do you do? But go chase after it and take pictures. Yeah. No, you didn't. That is what you'd do. Marin, Tyler, they're just the pigs of the forest. Really? (laughs) (laughs) The whole vicious bear attacking with the giant. That's all. It's all. You, you went after it. I did. I wanted to get the shot. It's like. Bear, bear. <laughs> I just want a good picture. You needed to have a majestic. So how close were you? Vista. I was good and close. I was probably a good maybe five feet away from the bear itself. And then there were two Outside others with it. There were two others with this bear. So it must have been a mom and her teens, young one. teenage teens, and tweens, the gang. Teens. tween bears. So, the gang. Mom, you always bring us out here. <laughs> I was less afraid because the local person who saw them to begin with, he just Frank whatever his name yeah. was. <laughs> he did not seem scared. So he had a broom and he was like, go on, get, yeah. Like just yeah, I'm sure away. that's exactly what then he the says, bear needed. Well, I'll go get, get what prodding. they really want. And he goes back to the cab of his truck and he pulls out six or so Krispy Kreme donuts. And just what? starts what? tossing them to the bears. Just- the trash guy had six Krispy Kremes in his truck. I can't imagine why they would show up when he drives up. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not supposed like, to. Do you want the this broom sticking in your face or you want some darn donuts? Don't feed, bears. don't feed bears, guys. But yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome. So Kids got to you see it. Google scary spiders oh, just I to be scared so in your living much. room. Yes. But you, you will literally go and chase a bear 
Yes, I will. I'm not afraid of bears. And I told you this. You should like, be. If three spiders, you shouldn't be. <laughs> if three black furry spiders were at my front door, I would be rendered completely helpless. Even I would if not they be able were to breathe. just there for I the Krispy Kreme. I wouldn't want a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Little teeny Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they were like small, I would be freaked out. But three bears, no, that gets me excited. And I chase after them with the camera, which that is, is the second time in my life that I have done that. So were your kids impressed? Loved them. Oh, of course. Yeah. It, it kind of was the highlight of the trip. Sure. Absolutely. I'm jealous. That's awesome. Yeah, that, it was super Did cool. they come back? The bears never came back they after the guy They never came left. back. Okay. That's why I think they're connected to the guy yeah. more yeah. than anything. They're and Frank's we just bears. got, we Maybe got that, Yeah. Maybe that's just a trick he pulls with all the uh, <laughs> visitors. <laughs> all right, guys. I'll give you these donuts. Here, yeah. come on up. Yeah. 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 Now, I did Google black bear videos after the fact because I, I started to think like, eh, shouldn't I be afraid of these creatures? So just- to be sure, I did YouTube scary black bear yeah. videos. You, 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 yeah, of course you put the word scary in there. <laughs> Should I be scared of bears, Google? Yeah. Well, times. so it sounds like a great trip. Yeah, it was fantastic. Good. Barry, how are you doing? What's going on? Oh, I'm great. Um, my last week or two have been pretty, they just kind of whatever, but we've really been getting to know him, Humphrey a lot and have oh, been enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Tales of Humphrey. Dave, he's, have you met hum- Humphrey yet? Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you're he's, smitten. Yeah. I'm, he's my grand bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is, he's getting really, uh, comfortable with us when he first got to, when we first brought him home, he was a little bit antsy and kind of would nervous and would run around and get a little bit freaked out about every little thing. But now he is becoming very much at home and probably a little entitled. Yeah. Acting like he uh, runs the place. Yeah, he really does. But, um, there's a thing that rabbits do called flopping. It's called flopping where they will just, whenever they are just ultimately relaxed and completely chilled out, they will just fall right onto their back or like onto their side and just lay sprawl out, uh, when they're just uh-huh. like super relaxed, just randomly it'll just happen. And, um, when he first, started flopping like a little bit after he came in uh, to our house, but he never like right near us. You know, he would be a little bit more on edge when we were around, but then as time has gone on, he's gotten more comfortable with us. And just the other night we were both, he gets, uh, massages. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. We, he loves it. Oh, he yeah. walks up to us you and puts no his idea. head down and just like lies down with his paws <laughs> under him while we pet him and, you know, Tell him about how great Wait, that's petting. That's not massaging. Well, it tur- it's like petting, but I also like will give him like deep muscle massages. <laughs> <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Anyway, yes. so we were both there, <laughs> sitting like on the ground with Humphrey, petting him, talking to him, and then I we stopped and we were both talking about something else, and all of a sudden he just flops right in front of us, and I mean it was so it. cool. It was like he we finally he's did home. It. He's home. Yeah. So we're having a blast. He's also, I think has, I think he has an addiction to hay. He eats a lot of hay and doesn't stop. Can a bunny eat too much hay? I keep Googling that and, <laughs> and seems man, like you, the answer is no, but hay guys can get Google expensive. search history, man. Yeah. Right. Can is a bunny eat too much weight? hay? Scary no, bears. Hay, hay is just like all fiber, but and you know what he happens. loves it. Yeah. yeah. When he eats that much hay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he ate, he ate like one and a half times his body volume in hay like a <laughs> yesterday. And I don't know if that's okay. So we're taking it He's in just portions. Letting himself go, man. He really is. He's, He's on not, spring break. Yeah. He hasn't been gaining too <laughs> Leave much him alone. Weight. Yeah. Anyway, we're having a great Speaking time. Speaking of which, Humphrey. why do you why do why do we eat poorly on spring break? Because I, because we eat poorly all the time, but spring break allows us to feel not guilty about it. Why don't we feel guilty about it? Because I just returned I from a trip in Florida where it's like, I mean, I don't, I'm not the healthiest eater, but I definitely don't keep like three packs of Oreos and six <laughs> bags of chips in the house yes. at any given moment. But when we're on vacation, man, it's like, do you want golden Oreos or double stuffed? Why not both? Let's just put them both in the cabinet. <laughs> and why do we do that? It has everything to do with being in a good mood. You're Good just mood. like, ah, oh, it's spring break. Yes. Yeah. Total happiness. Yeah. Think so we're happy nothing. and we just, no guilt eating, just like- Nothing matters. Tons of hay. Nothing matters yeah. for one whole week. Maybe right. it's like some sort of like deeply rooted urge to for feasting. Like it's a thing yeah. that's just a part of every human <laughs> culture. The only problem is we live in a land of constant feasting. Yeah. So it's actually not special. It's just like deeply destructive. Yeah. yeah. I'm taking a vacation from my problems. That's, that's what about Bob? That's then? what it yeah. is, huh? Taking a vacation from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we went to Florida last week 
And first time the baby has been to a beach. And the first time the baby's really like gone out of town for any significant amount of time. He's eight months old. And uh, Instagram stories made it look like he was having a blast. He loved it. How man. many fistfuls of sand did oh, he consume? There was... There was a legit day where he packed his mouth so full of sand that my wife had to take her finger and like do the scoop, scoop action, scooping out the sand in his mouth. And he, he would like fistfuls, wet or dry sand, didn't matter. Just like narfing it. It's the good stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if it was because the water was too cold or I just have a fear of like the dark waters. I don't, I don't like the dark waters. I don't get in the ocean. Have I talked about why? Yes. Okay. Yes, I think you so. Have. You could revisit it briefly well, if you want to remind newer listeners. Long story short is <laughs> my cousin threw Pringles around me when we're in the middle of a coral reef, like snorkeling and all these fish swarmed me and I had a heart attack at like nine, nine years old. So I, I don't like going in the water and not, if a, I, not an actual heart attack, not, a, not a real heart attack, just like a, a it was you probably like, a, an anxiety attack, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I thought I was dying, yeah. but I was, I, I was fine. But so we go to the ocean and I'm like, oh, Milo's going to get in the ocean. It's going to be great. Um, we we got in about knee height. And something brushed your, past yes. your leg. <gasps> something touched my foot. Oh, no. My wife was like, that was seaweed. I was like, that is not seaweed. It was under my foot and like uh, swam. Nope. Away. <laughs> and I was out. I didn't go in the water the rest of the week. Yeah, I was done. Me too. I Milo, do sorry, ocean. buddy. You're, you're out of luck. I'm, Dad's not going in with you. <laughs> so, but it was a good trip. Glad to be back. You got a lot of sun. I got a lot of sun. Yeah, we you were. You were that person that Dave mentioned in his sermon on Sunday. Came back tan. Came oh, back sorry, tan. Sorry, Dave. Don't be coming up to me with that. Sorry, Dave. Yeah, now you're like right here in our yeah. places. Mm-hmm. My in-laws are who we went down there with, and they are the people who, from the moment they wake up until after sunset, they're sitting in one place on the beach and that is that is they are there to stay and our condo was on the beach and so that's what we did that's awesome yeah fun i mean it was it was it was a good time so um dave how you doing what's new good most exciting thing is i am now into hockey and the fuel have made the playoffs now you're into hockey not o- not always been a hockey fan but no but i am now and the fuel are in the, the playoffs. The Indy Fuel made the playoffs. The last game was one, whatever team won was going to make the playoffs. It was exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what has turned you into a hockey fan? Oh, watching it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But no, <laughs> seriously. I'll do it. No, seriously. Just getting used getting used to the game and what, and it's just, it's exciting. Do you and, need to go? Cause you go to a lot of games, right? Well, I do. Yeah. I bought season tickets. Yeah. And so first time I've ever done that for any sport. <laughs> do you need to go? Cause I, I am not a hockey fan. Yeah. I'm interested, but sometimes when I watch it, I'm like, I don't know what the rules are. Yeah. Like, did you need to go with somebody to like teach you what you're looking at or I knew did a you just lot of pick it up as you went? The, some of the new, I knew most of the major rules. Um, but the nuances I had to pick up, it was, Rob Yonan plays hockey. So oh, yeah. he was a Phil Abakire. We have tickets near okay. each, uh, seats near each other. So those guys were helping me understand okay. hockey, but it's, it's great. Cool. I mean, it, it's a great atmosphere. The Indy Fuel have done a great, it's a great family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Kids love it. And, um, yeah. Cool. So yeah, that was, that was a big deal. So it's probably you- better in person, like in the, oh yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. When I watch it on TV, I feel like I'm getting whiplash. Like I can't yeah. see the puck. Where to yeah. go? Back yeah. and forth. Back and forth. Yeah. And I'm dizzy. <laughs> and the cool thing is, I want to shout out to Indy Fuel. For the last two years, they have allowed Grace people oh, yeah. um, to buy season tickets, and the they they um, will give Grace back the entire cost. That's right. Of that, so it's been wonderful. I'm not sure they'll do that again next year. I, I mm-hmm. doubt it, but. But I, I mean, I've enjoyed it so much and now I'm wondering, am I going to go ahead and get season tickets again next? So now that you have season tickets and they're in the playoffs, do you get like advanced? No. Okay. No, I don't think no so. Deals. I asked that question yesterday. I'm, I'm going to have to go buy my own tickets if I'm going to okay. go to the playoffs. So yeah, it is fun. I've been to a couple games and it is fun. And I went on, I don't know, it was like 50 cent burger night or something. Oh no, they... It's like all you can eat. Yeah. <laughs> Hot dogs and burgers and it's things. It's like all you can eat. It's Just ridiculous. keep going back and back and back. And yeah. you end uh, up eating like seven hamburgers. It's and, ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, just fun. Like spring break. Spring break. Spring break. Yeah. <laughs> well, while we were gone, uh, 
thank you for for listening to Between Sundays. I know that uh, we didn't have an episode, an actual like live current episode, but we got to. Um, published an episode that we recorded a long time ago with Kareem Gunter. And so I listened to that uh, and it was great. It, I, it brought me back to an earlier time before we ever even started this show. We're so innocent. Yeah, man. I was just, we were sitting in my office and yeah, it's just crazy to, to think back about uh, how this thing started and to, I, I got back today to see how many people have listened to the episode just to see if, if people would be interested in something that, was kind of a practice. Like yeah. it was a practice it episode. We had no intention of, of showing that. And, and I love that listeners are faithful, man. I love that, uh, you guys, you guys listened to it last week and, uh, have enjoyed it. And so if you haven't heard it, we talk a lot about reconciliation and some of Kareen's experiences through, uh, growing up and trying, um, being a pastor and how she identifies as a, as a daughter of God, but also that her calling is pastor. And she's living into that more and more. And it was just a fascinating conversation about that and reconciliation. So if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to that. But while we were gone, um, Dave, you spoke this past weekend as we entered into a new series called the moral of the story, you opened it up talking about good Samaritan. So um, do you mind giving us a little taste and a uh, big idea of what you talked about, what you shared last weekend for anybody sure. who may have missed it? Side note about the pod. Somebody stopped me yesterday after service and said um, the pod got them home from Florida. Oh, cool. They drove, they drove and listened to the, the podcast the entire way. We, awesome. are, we are deeply sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she enjoyed That's it. Cool. She loved, she How loved many this. episodes do we have now? Uh, we've got to be close to 25. Emily is saying 22. So I'm going to trust her. Wow. Yeah. 22 episodes, man. We need a party. Yeah. <laughs> Spring break. <laughs> yeah. But that's cool. So anyway, the series we're doing, let me set up the series. Well, Bear, why don't you set the series? Why'd, why'd we choose this? Yeah, and what's the, what's the moral of the story behind the moral of the story? Whoa, I see what you did there. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just, we are going to talk for four weeks about the parables of Jesus. And you could do like a 50 week story, uh, yeah. series on those because mm-hmm. there's so many of them. Um, but one of the things that the gospel writers did, they in many ways kind of categorized the, the, their stories of Jesus into either things he did or things he taught. And a huge portion of what he taught was in the form of parables, in the form of stories. And those stories are uh, kind of timeless. They, they go beyond just simple storytelling to actually contain some really provocative truths about human nature, about God, about faith and there's a reason why people still tell and retell these stories and why it's still, they still kind of blow our minds. Mm, when, yeah. And so anyway, so we're looking at four of them, not necessarily the four biggest or most popular, although a couple of them are, Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, four parables that mm. we kind of handpicked and thought we would, uh, we would talk about. And, and the reason why we're doing it after Easter is to, to say something has a moral actually, um, is not strong enough for the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just, oh, here's a, here's a quaint saying that we can hang on to or learn from. Oh, it's better the, to give than receive, you know, yeah, something that, like that. <laughs> yeah. that. That kind of thing. But, uh, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. the, his moral has far more weight, mm. right? So, so when we put those lenses on and go back and look at these stories, you go, oh, wow. Okay, there's more to it. There's more to it than just a moral story. And so we started with probably, I don't know, what do you guys think? Is that a good Samaritan, the most famous story of Jesus? It's gotta be. At least I the think so. most famous title of a parable. I mean, whether you know what son it is, actually is. The prodigal son is also pretty yeah. famous, but I think good Samaritan is probably a phrase that people have heard, even if they don't even know. Yeah. And I would say the good Samaritan is probably known by everyone, regardless of their affiliation to Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we started with that one. And I mean, it's exactly, I think pretty much everyone knows the moral of the story, Mm -hmm. but I put a little twist on it because um, I have been bothered when I saw, when I was doing some research for Easter and I, I knew this, but I I went back and looked at how many Christians are in the world. Mm. Um, How many people associate themselves with Jesus? And when I saw the number 2.2 billion that was stunning to me. It's by far the biggest religion in the world. 
Yeah. The, the closest is Islam. And by 2050, 2060, Islam will pass Christianity hmm. as the number one religion in the world. But so my interest in the Good Samaritan is, is, comes out of this uh, frustration that there are so many of us uh, who are doing so few things. Mm-hmm. And so we have the, the life change story of all life change <laughs> stories or the, you know, love your neighbor story mm-hmm. better than any, and 2.2 billion can't get it right. And so that's why I chose Good Samaritan to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so we have a clip of what you said the big idea yeah. was. One of the clearest certifications of faith. I want to certify your faith. It's your sacrificial love of a neighbor in need. So you're basically saying to live the Christian life, to be a Christian, to have an actual faith, you have to yeah. love your neighbor. Yeah, and I, and I um, yeah, I, it w- it's a strong word to say this certifies your faith. Yeah. But again, come, that comes out of my, what the heck are we doing, 2.2 billion of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and remember what Billy Graham, I think we were taken back when we were talking about Billy Graham, when he, list, didn't he call uh, reading the Bible and going to church the rules of Christianity? The rules of mm-hmm. living the Christian life. Rules yeah. of living. And I thought, well, this is too then. Yeah. So well, and the thing is like everybody knows it's nice to do good deeds to other people. Like that's not in our culture at least today. No one's shocked at the idea of oh it's better to be nicer to people than to not and you should help people, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. The thing that struck me about this though is that it's not really optional. It's not just a good thing to do if you're a Christian. It is mandatory mm-hmm. and it's also like you said it's the certification yeah. of your faith so if you're not a good samaritan on a regular basis constantly attuned to the needs of those around you and acting in self-giving love to them then what's the deal mm-hmm. with your well, yeah. faith yeah. you know <laughs> yeah where's the fruit we talked yeah. a couple of weeks ago about abiding in christ and that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And I don't mind at all that you use the word certification because it's fruit of being connected yeah. to the vine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the whole story starts with this religious jerk who's trying to test Jesus and get him in trouble. And he goes, uh, what is the, uh, how am I going to get eternal life? Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, well, Jesus says, well, how do you read it? And he says, well, love, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Then, then he throws in, oh yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, great, go do it. Yeah. yeah. Which set the guy off. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a certification. It's an authenticator. Yeah, I thought it was interesting as I was reading through your notes in the app and I was reading through this passage and like, man, that's a really interesting way to ask the question because he's not asking, how do I treat my neighbor? He's asking, how do I yeah. get to have this eternal life? Like he's asking about himself. He's not asking, you know, tell me, tell me how to treat other people. And so Jesus responds with a question. I thought that was really interesting and yeah. Well, yeah, uh, clever. And it, yeah. And it's, in, I mean, that, that kind of reveals the whole mindset behind like the Pharisaical way of thinking, the, the Pharisees, the way that they saw the world. It was all about what, boundaries can I put in my life so that I never break God's law? And what are the things that, what are the absolute like minimum number of things I have to do to be able to check all the boxes, you know, like how do I not ever do anything that might even resemble work on the Sabbath so that I don't ever violate the Sabbath. And so I think that's part of his motivation here is like, okay, this is the, the fundamental basis of, of faith is love God, love your neighbor. Great. When Barry, you said, yeah, maybe they were looking for the least to get get away with. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a second, the Pharisees, some of them. Let's say that they deeply, deeply, deeply love God. Yeah. Which a lot of them did. Sure. So it's not, uh, you know, but in their minds, um, they believed that the way to best love God was to have the construct of their life and intellectually have it all together and, and, I don't think they thought of the practical ramifications of it. I don't think about, I don't think they thought, I don't think anybody even would have said, I'm going to stop and help a guy, help a guy along the road that was beat up Yeah, and say, that is the equivalent of loving God. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that was one of my questions too, is how do we know he had cruel intentions of asking this question? Because um, like you said, I, 
some of these guys, these Pharisees, like really loved God. Yeah, and did. this is, he's wanting to know, how do I grow closer to God or what? Yeah. Well, how do we yeah. know he's being? Well, we know, we can read in, I mean, if most of the encounters Jesus had with the Pharisees. They were trying to catch him. They were trying to catch him. And, and in this one, it says he, he, he tried, tried to, to test, test him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least, um, at least this account it was clear he was trying to be tested. And it happened all the time. They were all battling over one thing or another. So he asks the question, who is my neighbor? What, do you have any, Barry or Dave or Marin? do you guys have any idea of what the the actual word neighbor would have meant back then? Because I think a lot of times, I I assume it doesn't mean the same thing as what it means today to us. that, That right there is, where his, I think part of where his question is coming from, because there are, there is a, a passage in the Levitical law. I think it's in Leviticus itself that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's also a passage that says, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, so all that stuff. So they were taking those two passages and arguing that those somehow encapsulated the whole law. And so neighbor is a word that was in the Hebrew and he's asking, so what does that actually mean? to Jesus, because I think he's probably assuming Jesus will say, anyone living within a three mile radius of you is your neighbor. Right. And Jesus takes it and says, hold on, let me flip it completely upside down on what that even means. Well, and also the mindset the mindset was the Pharisees hung out with Pharisees. They, they hung out with the people they wanted to hang out with. Yeah. And so their definition of neighbor was those who love God as much as I do. So whoever is my equal. Who is my, yes, they, they were very... Um, they were very prejudicial. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why when Jesus, when he declares woes upon the Pharisees, mm-hmm. he says, you know what you guys do with your laws? You shut the kingdom of God in people's faces. You just close the door and you don't let anybody into your game, mm-hmm. uh, your party. And you're so exclusive. And so what he did with this story is he went to the umpteenth degree that he could to turn that thought upside down. Yeah. Uh, not only are we going to kick open the door to the kingdom so that you have to relate to everybody. Um, let me show you the one you got to relate to. Hmm. And that's a Samaritan, the one you hate the most. Yeah. So he's saying, the, the, his answer is basically like, your neighbor is the person that you think you're better than. Well, yeah. It, one thing I didn't talk about is if the thing... The thing, it gets twisted. And I didn't talk about this. So watch this. Uh, Jesus says, the man says, who is my neighbor? Essentially, the guy that was beaten up is his neighbor. Yeah. But at the end of the parable, Jesus says, which one was the neighbor to the man who was beaten up? Uh-huh. So it's turned up. He, he Jesus turns it upside down. Yeah. I don't know whether that was a, a textual thing that Luke was or whether Jesus deliberately twisted the, the story at the end so that now the neighbor, he was asking the guy, can you be a neighbor to the Samaritan, not to the guy that was beat up? Hmm. I, I, I'm, that's confusing a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's confusing a little bit, but that, that's what Jesus did with this. Or maybe it just means, or maybe he's what he's saying is, if the Samaritan is a neighbor to the man who was beat up, then by very definition, the man who was beat up, beat up. is a neighbor to the Samaritan. I, I don't know. That. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, it was interesting because the focus is on the guy that's beaten up, but Jesus turns his focus on the Samaritan. At any rate, sorry if I confuse things, but that it, <laughs> no, I I think that was something I was wrestling with in trying to define neighbor because I don't think that my question is who is my neighbor. I think is what is I mean maybe it is the same question, but what does that mean to this guy? Yeah. Because it sounds like he's asking who who's better than me, like. I'm a Jewish Pharisee. Like that is the elite of the elite when it comes to who has a relationship with God and who's, who's better than that. And Jesus says, everybody that you think you're better than is your, is your equal Mm -hmm. is your, you know, um, do you think Jesus got a lot of amens from from the group (laughs) that he was speaking to in this interaction? As a matter of fact, um, Steve Perkins pointed this out to me and I hadn't noticed this. Uh, Steve Perkins is a teacher, one of our elders, and brilliant, understands Greek and Latin. And at any rate, he pointed out that Jesus' last words, essentially the tense, is that he looked the man in the eye and said, you, sir, you go do this. Hmm. So it was very confrontational hmm. The, the la- at the end of the story. 
you better go do this. Hmm. He wasn't just like spreading his arms wide and saying, and now let us all go and do the same. Let's go help the broken yeah. people. No, <laughs> it was go do it. Hmm. So it was kind of, it, that was the way Jesus style. Hmm. So I'm trying to like wrap everything together in what we've been talking about in the last like six weeks. And we've talked a lot about unity. We've talked a lot about washing mm-hmm. feet. We've talked a lot about who is my neighbor and the good Samaritan. And like, how does this all fit together? Do you think? Because when I'm sitting here thinking of, okay, you asked who is scum, right? You asked right. who is scum mm-hmm. to you that you need to be neighborly to, mm-hmm. uh, the same people flash through my brain as they did when we're talking about <laughs> unity and washing feet and all the stuff. Uh, so what do you guys, what do you guys think is happening here at Grace Church? Because I think that these, these messages, they're not repetitive, but they are very consistent and they are very interesting because this, if we look back on a season of what's going on in Grace Church, trying to unify, I think that it's really interesting to, to point out that this is, this is very consistent in in some of our messages. So what do you think is happening? For me, Grace? I can only answer that for me. Um, and I, I would assume that it's, it's like that for plenty of, of folks here at Grace Church. But for me, I know that I'm being called to a higher degree of awareness and a deeper level of love. Um, when I was on my little vacation this week, um, a couple of my family members got sunburned. Like we were out for one sunshiny day. The rest of the days were kind of overcast, whatever, but whatever, they got sunburned and we didn't bring any sunburn stuff. We weren't expecting a whole lot of, you know, sunny days or or whatever. Um, So days into the trip, I'm kind of digging through my little toiletry bag. And I notice I've got this like sun aloe vera stuff in my bag I didn't even know I had. Now, unfortunately, like days had passed. So my poor family members like suffered with the sunburn for days while I had what they needed all along. Whoa. Did you just like throw it away? Never mention it. Yeah. You don't want to let them know. Yeah. I'm like, I've got the tools and I'm not using them or I've got the tools and I don't even realize I've got the tools. What good is being prepared if you don't even know what you have Mm. that you're ready to call on it and use those things in the moment when it's needed. Like it was this moment for me of like, man, I am so overloaded yeah. with good tools and with information and all the right things. But if I don't even, if I'm not even aware of what I have or yeah. how to use it and when, and so that's what I mean. I, I feel like that I am being called to a greater level of awareness. Who's around me, where are the needs and a deeper level of love. So like even today, I ran a bunch of errands before coming here today. And I'm, I'm looking back like, well, did I miss a moment anywhere yeah. in the day? Mm. Um, yeah, well, and how can I catch that in the future as it comes around again? Or yeah. That, yeah. There's a phrase that, that keeps repeating itself over the months here at Grace. And that's the phrase, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've used it now in, in two different ways. One, pay attention to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. what God is doing. And now we're also saying, let's pay attention to what's happening around us. I think the point that was most convicting to me in the message and in application, um, whether it's over unity, over washing feet, or or taking care of a, a person who's been beaten up along the way, is do I even allow, do I have any time in my life to pay attention? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like I asked the question, how many of us live with a barely a five minute cushion in our day from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And that this guy, the story that Jesus, the guy ended whatever his agenda was, stopped it on a dime, reprioritized his life completely so that he could give it to this man. And as far, I mean, I know Jesus made up the story, but he made up that the guy, he spent the night with the guy taking care of him. And then in the morning, he paid for his stuff. And he pays for stuff. My, and going back to my original comment, 2.2 billion Christians are so consumed with their own lives that we don't even have the capacity to touch the life of another. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a conviction of mine too. I had two things that stood out to me because I, I had to, I had to stream it mm-hmm. as well on my way home. And one of the stories that flashed through my brain was it was the last night that we were in Florida and uh, 
everybody's on spring break at the same time. So while we're there, it's just like packed and people leave early. They look kind of like their families may leave like a day early or something. Uh, there was this lady down the, down the road or down the way where she was, she was by herself. She basically lives there all year, but her family came in for spring break and they had left that day. We still had a day left. And uh, my mother-in-law was like, we should invite her to dinner or something. I feel so bad because she's lonely and she's missing her family. And I was trying to just be funny, but I was like, nah, we're good. Like, nah, don't invite her. We're good. Mm. And we didn't invite her. And I don't, it, <laughs> I and thought so the story was going. Another no, no, direction. no, no. <laughs> and so as I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, oh, yeah. I'm one of the 2.2 billion that doesn't even take the time to pay attention mm. to these moments where there's mm. opportunities. Yeah. Uh, so that was one. And I think the other realization is that like society that we live in, and this is why I asked the question or why I made the observation earlier that he asked the question, not how do I treat other people? He asked the question, how do I mm-hmm. get to eternal life or get eternal life? And that's the same thing that we do. We are so consumed with the things that are in direct influence on us and me and I, yeah. that like, we don't have any margin. No, we no don't margin. give ourselves any margin to pay attention to how do we treat the other person? We just, the people that we're interacting with are most likely the people that are in our direct spheres and we don't pay attention to anybody outside of that. Hmm. Absolutely. Right. It's, I think it's the reason this keeps coming up partially is just because it's deeply true at the core of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But also I think we are entering an era where a lot of the old assumptions about what it means to be a Christian are just, they're not bearing, they're just not working anymore. Like the idea that, that, oh, become a Christian and you can become a part of an influential social club is not really working as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. And like, hey, uh, become a Christian and, and you know, you'll, you won't be, you know, giving into all these immorality thingies that we don't like. Like that doesn't, what I'm trying to say is, our church, our average person here generally doesn't look that different yeah. from anyone else around them, which that to me is, is something of a major crisis and also a major opportunity because we have now the chance to, to show people what it means to follow Jesus in a way that is deeply attractive and life-changing for others. Like I, I look around, I've, I've talked to a lot of people recently and I'm, I've asked them like, what, how is your life different? because mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, there's not a lot of clear <laughs> yeah. answers to yeah. that. And I, I look at that and I think, whoa, like let's, mm-hmm. let's take, pay attention to this because we can't have it. We can't have a thriving church. If our average attender looks no different from the person next to them, they just like the music on a weekend. You know, it's like, we mm-hmm. have to become Christ followers that look like Jesus, even just to some small degree. Yeah. And so I, I look at this, I think, I think it keeps coming up because it's on the hearts of those who are teaching and it's something we keep finding in scripture. And, and frankly, I think the spirit is leading us to it because it's time. It's time for us to start bearing fruit as Marin said. Okay. So I was raised, I've been thinking about this ever since I was raised, uh, seeing the guys or the women, you know, asking for money at stoplights, right? They're asking for money. They got the signs or whatever. I was raised being told, I don't give it to them. They just want to go buy alcohol or don't give it, don't, you know, whatever. If you want to really help them, ask them if you can go get food or, you know, something that will do a direct impact, but don't give them money. And so what is the lie? You know what? Like, what is the balance between being a neighbor and being a good Samaritan to somebody in need and not helping that? Do you know, do you know what I'm trying to ask? Like we live in a society where it's like, don't give that guy money because he's just going to abuse it. And so I've lived a lot of my life being like, ah, I'm good. Like keep driving. Should I help that person? Should I give money to that person every time? Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I lived in Chicago and I couldn't walk from my front door to work without probably three or four people asking me for money. In fact, my in-laws are still there. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I, I lived by, and for my husband and I, it's different. Maybe my husband would be quicker to give money and maybe I would be quicker to offer to buy food or whatever, Mm -hmm. but do something. Something. Yeah. Do, do what feels right in, in your spirit before God, if you want to give them money or give them food, but 
do something. Yeah. Um, and if nothing else, just be friendly, be yeah, kind yeah. And, and warm. Yeah. Um, there, there are stories I can tell of buying someone food when you can tell they really didn't want the food and weren't really right, grateful for right, it. Right. But then there are stories I can tell of being on tour and my awesome guitar player would always pack extra granola bars and stuff in his bag to be able to give to those people mm-hmm. when you encounter them in any different city or town that we were in. And there was yeah. one lady who he gave a banana to and her response was, ooh, potassium. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just never know. But I would say do, do something. something. One of the most chronic afflictions of the homeless is loneliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just warmth, kind, a handshake, you know, some sort of like physical connection. Yeah. And you, Barry, have experience with this, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I was doing World Next Door, I spent a month embedded with an organization in New York called New York City Relief um, that serves um, homeless and um, people that are struggling in many different ways. And part of my whole philosophy was to get as deep into the culture as possible wherever Mm -hmm. I went, whether it was Kenya or Ukraine or or New York City. And so I, uh, with the blessing of New York City Relief, made the decision to live homeless for four days, uh, three nights, four days on the streets of Manhattan. Uh, And so I did, I was alone. I had a cell phone and a dime in my pocket. That was all I had. Oh, and a dime? That's all of the money I took with me. The cell phone was for emergencies. Um, that was it. That was all I had. You could have pawned that cell phone. Yeah, it's true. I also, <laughs> I could have. no, you're right. You're right. It was not a true, I'm, I'm never going to say that I had a true homeless experience because I could have ended it at any point, which, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I slept in Penn station on the floor one night and then I checked into a homeless shelter for two nights after that. And um, the only way that I was going to be able to eat was to either go to a place giving out food, which I did once or twice or panhandling, which I forced myself to do, even though it was the last thing I, on earth that I wanted to do. I, I sat uh, at a subway entrance and asked people for money and said, can I have a quarter? Can you, can you spare a dollar, like anything? And the vast majority of people that walked past me refused to make eye contact mm-hmm. whatsoever uh, mm-hmm. or even to acknowledge my existence. Mm-hmm. And shoot, I mean, I'll tell you it in, in like 30 minutes, my humanity felt crushed. Hmm. Like I was suddenly invisible and I, I, it's hard to even describe what that did to me and how it felt. And, and it's even harder to describe the absolute joy I felt when a guy came up to me and said like, Hey man, I'm, I hope things work out. I'm really sorry. Here's five bucks. And I was able to buy like a hot dog. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, I was, I was weeping as I ate that hot dog. Cause someone had acknowledged my existence. <laughs> and even the people who walked by looked me in the eye and said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I was like, Hey, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. for acknowledging me. And so my takeaway from that experience was no matter what, even whether I, whether I feel God is saying, give this person something or, or, or not, I will always make eye contact. And if possible, I will, I will acknowledge them. I'll say, Hey brother, I'm sorry. I can't help you right now. Anything to be able to say, look, I know you're a human and I'm, mm. I'm acknowledging your presence. Yeah. That that's the start. Yeah. That's a start. Um, although I, yeah. I'll admit, I don't know that I always do take that extra step to go when I do feel, cause I'm, it's going to take time. It's going to be messy getting involved in relationships. It's mm-hmm. easier to just give a few bucks or a smile or not so, look. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's way harder since I moved to Hamilton County. Like it used to be at my front door all the time, mm. the need. And well, the, yeah, I was two things. One is talking about the homeless is a real issue. We have to do, I'm going to tell you about a guy I'm following on Twitter. That's fascinating right now. Um, but it's kind of low hanging fruit at the giving money to the person at the end of the, uh, of the off ramp is, if we go to that, if that's if if that's what I think, okay, if I give him a dollar, <laughs> right. I've done my good Samaritan yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, mm-hmm, right. mm-hmm. We're missing out on the more, not more important. <clears throat> it is important to deal with people like that, but how important is it to deal with the woman that who, yeah, your mother-in-law said, or is your mother? I right, mother-in-law said, yeah. said she could be lonely. Those are the people yeah. we need to pay it. Not yeah. just the people at the end of the offering yeah. that yeah. need money, but the the people in our lives. 
or the when you walk up when you're at a cash register uh lucy and i laugh about this there was a woman at a ca- at a local store for some reason every time lucy would go into this local store this woman would be bawling at the cash register mm-hmm. after a while lucy that's my daughter she thought in a while it was caused her for some reason but <laughs> she'd walk up in the way you said but do we pay attention when people are weeping? Do we pay attention when people are frustrated? As I was just in Starbucks before I came here. I was watching a young mom with two kids and the kids were being kids and she was clearly harried. And my first reaction was, look, I'm trying to work here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, and the kids are being loud. And then I realized, oh my gosh, she needs, she probably needs some help. And I thought, would that be weird if I offered to, anyway. The second thing I want to say is I, f- I don't know how I found this guy on uh, Twitter. His name is Charlie Hennessy uh, at Charlie Binbags. Char- C-H-A-R, my glasses in there. Charlie Binbags. He was until just a couple of weeks ago homeless and he's in Br- Great Britain. He's in London, I think. And I have been following him and he just got on Twitter. Hmm. So it's absolutely fascinating. Like he was this yesterday, he, he tweeted this. On a rest break, he did, um, he got a job finally. On a rest break after driving all day, I'm sitting inside a cafe drinking coffee. For millions of people, this is an everyday occurrence. For me, it's the first time in years I've gone inside, paid and sat down. Best coffee I've ever tasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, it's fascinating to follow him. Yeah. Charlie Binbags, I recommend it. He's the sweetest, mm. I mean, assuming this is him. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the sweetest man. So it, it it would give perspective on how to love a neighbor. Yeah. To follow and, him. Yeah. And you said something early on in your sermon, you referred to it as self-giving love. And and there are going to be many opportunities where we can give of ourselves right. in love of another. That does not necessarily look like what the world considers suffering or uh, exclusion or pain, but it's it's a self-giving. And let me, I'm going to give an example of one of my all-time heroes, Mr. Rogers. So do you guys watch Mr. Rogers growing up? Of course. Up? Yes. Yeah. With you. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so this February was the 50th anniversary of his show being launched. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And um, he really is one of my all-time heroes. Dude is a incredible godly man. He was a pres- ordained minister in the Presbyterian church. And he felt a burden for kids who, latchkey kids, kids that would come home, but their parents would be working. Mm. And so they'd let themselves in at home. And, and so he wanted to, them to know that they were loved. And the problem was he hated TV. He hated <laughs> what TV was doing to the culture. And yet he knew the one way that he could tell these children that they were loved is to create a TV show where he could tell them you're loved. Mm. Mm. And so he built an entire show with low production values and like almost all the things that you would think would make terrible TV. <laughs> and he, yeah. he created this show where it was just about him telling, Hey, you're loved and you're special and you're unique. Yeah. And his whole song, won't you be my neighbor? You better believe he was thinking of the good Samaritan because of his faith. Absolutely. Mm. He created this Absolutely. show. So wow. what I, what I know from his, some off the screen stuff about him is that, whenever they would often have um, children with disabilities or with sicknesses that he would either go visit in the hospital or uh, that would come to the set and his crew couldn't stand it because he would spend so much time with these children. When he had a show to record, they would have to record like two or three episodes that day. And he's sitting there just talking to these children and they're like, come on, man, we gotta, we gotta go. But he was so wholly dedicated to the person right in front of him, including children. It was, it's so Christ-like, it's amazing. And one of the things that he always did was he would go to um, the hospitals and visit these kids and he would ask them, would you pray for me? And people were always very taken mm-hmm. aback by this. And he, he said, the reason is because you've been through so much difficulty and suffering. Um, I imagine that, that you must be really close to God so would you pray for me wow. instead of me praying for you? He had this attentiveness mm-hmm. and yes, it was for children, but um, these are people that are often, for him, often overlooked. People who don't have dignity in life because culture had left them in the dust. And so he stepped right in and was a neighbor to them. Mm. Yeah, that's my prayer right now in my personal life that God would help me to become more aware and just be more attentive. I feel like there was a time in my life there were multiple times in my life where it was easier to see the need 
because the need was literally right in front of my face. So that would have been when I lived in Chicago and I walked out into the street and I worked at a homeless shelter and I, my life was serving in that capacity, serving the homeless, um, homeless children. It's how I met my husband. We ran a after school tutoring program at a homeless shelter. There was a time where I was able to just totally devote my life to that work and it was easy to see the need. Then I had kids, the need changed. Um, being a school mom and for some reason they had quite a few friends my my kids did that were orphaned um with the loss of one parent um or both parents so I was that mom that drove the kids around everywhere and the kids always came to my house and I knew that okay this is my ministry right now and I'm pouring into these kids and the need was right there right there I think it's harder now for me personally to recognize that kind of need right in front of me. And I know like I'm, I'm in full-time ministry and I'm, I'm serving in one capacity or another every single day, but I still feel like, okay, am I too busy now that yeah. I am not seeing the needs around me, you know, because my plate is so full or, or whatever. Um, so that, that's my personal prayer. Make me more attentive, Lord. What am I missing? We run to work. We run home. When I say run, we speed to work, we speed home, and then we speed to vacation, yep. and then we speed back from vacation. Um, we are hurtling through life. We are passing a 2.2 billion of us who claim to follow Christ. Don't take the time to look for the guy who's beat up on the side of the road, whether it's emotionally or physically or financially. We just speed right by. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I think I was... Yeah, I was talking to one of the speaker assistants this week. I said, what would happen if just half of us 2.2 billion Christians, if a billion of us decided that this week we would do one act of paying attention? Just imagine a billion acts of paying attention Mm. and touching somebody who needed something from little to big. A billion acts in one day. Would that, would would all of a sudden the world shift? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, think about it. Yeah, uh, and and that I'm I, I know I'm pretty agitated about it, and <clears throat> Grace Church is going to roll their eyes after a while because I'm going to say two point two billion too many times because that's <laughs> that's just the way I roll. There there are a few simple things that you can do in your day to day life, even as you're running around uh, here in the suburbs that I've tried to implement, um, and it has to do with the recognition that not everybody has the uh, resources or the privilege that that you might if you are the one at the drive through getting food if you're the one ordering the coffee at the Starbucks if you're you know whatever it is it's possible that the person that is serving you doesn't have the same opportunities or the same wealth or the same connections yeah. that you do and very likely there are folks that are trying to make it and and I mean if you're at the grocery store they're not getting paid a ton of money to mm-hmm. to serve you so it's possible that they are also in some kind of need, even if they look happy and healthy and fine and, you know, they're humans. And for me, one of the, one of the sort of rituals that I've gotten into, I mentioned it in a sermon once and then I felt compelled to, to like actually do it so I wouldn't be a hypocrite, <laughs> um, but I've been doing it ever since, which, which is whenever I put my card in the chip reader, which you do when you go to the store. Yeah, it takes like 20 minutes. <laughs> right, it's got a, it, it's actually more like, five seconds for it to think and be. <laughs> yeah. I use that as a reminder to me every time that happens to look up, make eye contact and ask them how their day is going. Mm. And then yeah. rarely does it turn into anything significant, but every now and then someone will be like, it just like unlocks a door of, oh, you acknowledge my humanity. Let me tell you mm. oh, something, something, something I've been working. Oh man, then I can respond. Oh, you're going to get off soon. Or, you know, we could yeah. actually have a human conversation yeah. and I wish it was more significant. I wish I was like, bathing wounds in olive oil and, and wine yeah. like the story, but you know what? I can, I can acknowledge someone's humanity right. and, and that's a start. Yeah. Let me give you a little thing. I've, I've started too. Um, for some, re- some reason in the last couple of months, I read an article about tipping. I don't know why, like, and somebody suggested, you know what? You probably, we all think about, probably think about tipping a waitress if they come serve or a waiter that serves us at the table. But when you walk up to a takeout counter, and you do you do you tip that way? And I I rarely did. And yeah. they said you should. 
that, and so I have started to do that. And so when I'm, uh, I'll, I'll tip the guy at the cash register, even though he didn't wait on me. I, the reactions I've gotten from people when they see that I'm tipping them when I'm just doing takeout, they're like, wow, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting reaction. No one expects it. Hmm. Yeah. And, and also I've increased my, the level of tips, the, the percentage I'm tipping. And I know that's not a huge thing, but it has changed my perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's been amazing. I've gotten so many positive responses. One of the uh, people I've met in the last year um, shared a story about how he has engaged with, we're, we're talking about not people that are really acquaintances or friends, but they're in our lives, right? Like the waitresses, the the baristas, the dry cleaners, the people that we interact with regularly. And he said, I wanted to know how I could be, he didn't use this language, but how I could be a better neighbor to these people. And so he went to the people he saw routinely as he saw them and said, he asked them three questions. Who, who am I to you? Mm. Uh, what do you appreciate about me? And how do I disappoint you when I show up? And he shared like some of his findings and he does this regularly. And he said uh, with his dry cleaner in particular, he had, uh, he had been going to the same dry cleaning place for years and got to know the, the dry cleaner guy's daughters, um, went to their like kindergarten graduation or something. And, and so he asked the dry cleaner, uh, who am I to you? And the guy said, man, you're, you're just a loyal customer. Uh, and you, uh, I would consider you a good friend. He said, okay, well, uh, what do you appreciate about me? And he said, I love that you've gotten to know my family outside of just like my service to you or this business. I love that you've gotten to know my family. And he said, okay, uh, how do I disappoint you when I show up? And the guy said, you're not a man of your word. And the, <laughs> the guy yeah. was like, what? That was like blindsided, but also yeah. hurtful. So, you know, explain. And the guy's like, you tell me that, you're going to pick up your clothes at five o'clock on Thursdays. And so I make sure your clothes are ready at five o'clock on Thursdays. Mm. And I love and respect you so much because of how you've cared for my family, because of how you, that um, when you're not here, I, I have invited people that I know to come here at Thursday at five o'clock to uh. meet you. Oh my word. Because I love and respect you so much. And I want people that I know to know you. Oh. And so when you don't show up, I'm embarrassed. You know what? So it was, <laughs> and, and so the takeaway was how could I be a better neighbor to these people? And it's more than giving them more money, which is a great thing, like t- tipping more and that kind of stuff. But to this guy, he was like, I asked the guy straight up how I could be a better neighbor to him. And he's not a friend but he's just a guy that I, I interact with. And his answer was be here when you say you're here. And so from that point, he showed up on time at five o'clock. He said, I show up 30 minutes early now because I know that he's probably going to have some people there for me to meet. And so that's the story that kind of sticks out in my mind of like, there's different ways of being a good Mm -hmm. neighbor. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, By the way, this has nothing to do with anything, but uh, I went ahead and looked at the distance between Jerusalem and Jericho and compared it to a local uh, local distance. And it would be the equivalent of walking from the Grace 146th Street campus to the state fairgrounds. Really? That's it. Wow. What's, what does that have to do with anything? Thank Nothing. Oh. I, told, I said it had <laughs> nothing to do with anything. It's <laughs> just thinking me. of it. And I was like, wait, the podcast is almost over. And I forgot yeah, to say that. Definitely got to slip that in there. Make <laughs> sure everybody knows. Goes, if nothing else, I you love know, that when he was talking about Mr. Rogers, my mind went to, yeah, that's all well and good. But he said crayons. <laughs> you know, that's why? what I remember. He was what like, that? He's crayons. From, he's from Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh. Crayons. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's, he might be a great guy, but he said crayons. <laughs> <laughs> when it's cr- clearly crayon, crayon. No, no, no. Right gr- I grew up there. It's crayons. <laughs> crayons. You grew up right down the street from the piano player. From Johnny Costa. Oh, Johnny man. Costa was the piano player. If you listen to Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I grew up right down the street from him and he would, yeah, he Wait, was amazing. What? I thought Mr. Rogers was the piano player. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> Come Can on, Marin. I did. I thought he played. I nope. did too, actually. He until might he was- 
told the he story. And I went to played, school but... with it, with um, one of his the the last producer um, graduated from school with. Did he sit school. at the piano? Because I thought I think he, did he did too. play at some point, but like when he's walking in, putting on the uh-huh. cardigan that his mother made. All of those were made by his mother. No handmade. way, it's true. Handmade by his mother. Oh Guys, I've got. Do I like I've got Mr. Rogers facts for days. <laughs> so, uh, and he's put on his shoes. Like There's that. a piano playing behind him. That <laughs> was the Johnny guy that Costa. lived down the street from my dad. Okay. Yeah, Johnny Costa. But did you? Another thing I noticed about him is that he, you know, he would take off the shoes, put his clean sneaks on. Mm-hmm. But when he left at the end of the episode, he never put the clean sneaks off. Like he took those off, but he never put his dress shoes back on to go out in the streets. Did he walk around barefoot? Yeah. No, he didn't. No. I mean, they never showed it because he was like knees up. But if you're paying attention to the end of the show, he takes his clean sneaks off, but you never see him put the sneak, the, te- the dress shoes back on and then he leaves. Oh, I bet there's symbolism there. And this or, is why they call the podcast quirky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be between back that and the crayons, when man. The day is through crayons, gum bands, crayons. not rubber bands, gum bands, gum bands. Oh yeah. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Stillers. What is that? The Steelers. Oh, Stillers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, sorry. This concludes <laughs> our spring break return episode. <laughs> Dave, thanks for that message. Welcome. Uh, where are we heading next week, guys? Where are we heading with the with the series? Uh, Amy's preaching next oh, week. Oh, Amy Christie, friend yep. of the pod. Friend of the pod. She's Great. excited to be back. All but right. she's going to be covering the story of the persistent widow. Oh, yes. Who goes after the judge until he until he finally relents. And then Jesus throws the curveball and says, and this is how you should approach God. Mm-mm. So Amy will I'm point. scared. She should be. <laughs> yeah. She should be. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic story that everybody knows. Everybody like knows that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Man, I did the Bible March Madness thing and I still don't know that story. Well, the yeah, parable buckle of persistent up. widow. She'll, she'll I mean, explain it like, to you. It's not Good a, one. you know. She'll explain it to you. It'll be good. Great. Well, we look forward to that. But until then, Marin, will you please send us out? With joy and gladness. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. And we'll see you on the other side of Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>